If you believe that cancer is a disease that strikes from nowhere with very little in your control that can prevent it, then you would be wrong on both counts. A person's risk of cancer can be significantly lessened by simple and fairly obvious nutrition and lifestyle changes. In this podcast, I'll explore where you should put most of your focus and spoiler alert, none of it has anything to do with avoiding 5G signals, GMO foods, artificial sweeteners, underarm deodorants, or even acid-causing foods. Cancer is a major burden of disease worldwide, and in a typical Western country like Australia, it accounts for about one-third of deaths each year. The big five of breast, prostate, colorectal, melanoma, and lung are the most common in Australia. Yet there is good news here, as the incidence rate of cancer, that's the number of people that are diagnosed with cancer each year, has been plateauing and even showing signs of declining when you account for an aging population. That's because age is the biggest risk factor for all cancer. The longer you live, the more likely cancer mutations have a chance of growing and propagating. And the even better news is that thanks to earlier detection and better treatments, the survivability of cancer continues to grow. Cancer is rarely a disease that strikes out of the blue for no reason. There is a whole range of known risk factors, many of which are considered modifiable. And for this, we have what I like to call the big six in order of importance. It goes smoking, excess body weight, poor diet, physical inactivity, sun exposure, and alcohol. And when we're talking about diet and cancer risk, it should be no surprise that fruits, vegetables, and whole grains come out on top as being the best cancer-preventing foods. While some foods may be promoted as being more beneficial, there is no one single superfood that can prevent cancer. It's a combination of good eating habits and food variety that gives the greatest benefit in reducing your own individual risk of cancer. In 2018, the World Cancer Research Fund and the American Institute for Cancer Research, and these two organizations are the biggest bodies in the world when it comes to looking at lifestyle factors and cancer risk, they released updated recommendations on how a person can reduce their risk of cancer. And I'll link to this advice in the show notes. The advice, though, is hardly controversial and would not only apply for cancer, but also cross over into other chronic diseases like heart disease and type 2 diabetes. So here are the recommendations in a nutshell. Choose a diet rich in a variety of plant-based foods, including fruits, vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. Cut back on highly processed fast foods. Limit consumption of sugar-sweetened drinks. Take part in regular physical activity. Be as lean as possible within the normal range of body weight. Limit how much red and processed meats that you eat. Drink alcohol only in moderation, if at all. And aim to meet nutritional needs through diet alone, rather than using supplements. And for women, to breastfeed if possible. That's because lactation has favorable hormonal effects on a woman that can reduce cancer risk, while for the infant, 
being breastfed is linked to a lower risk of later life obesity. So these guidelines are not just theoretical, as there is a lot of research that informs each of them. And now we have new research that has explored how closely following these guidelines across large population groups can translate into reducing the risk of cancer. Published only in the last week in the British Journal of Cancer, a research team looked at how well following the recommendations in a group of over 50,000 people from Sweden equated to a lower risk of cancer. And I'll link to this study in the show notes. There were two large cohorts of Swedish men and women followed, each of which had details of recorded diet and cancer data available. To see how well each person met the recommendations for cancer risk reduction, a scoring system, which could range from zero, that means meeting no recommendations, up to possibly the highest score of eight, was used to evaluate adherence to recommendations. The higher the score, the more recommendations met. So what was the study conclusion? After a median of over 15 years of follow-up, a higher recommendation adherence score was associated with a 12 to 15% lower risk of all cancer types, compared to people that had a low score. And for every point a person scored, it was linked with between a 3 and 4% reduction in the risk of cancer. But not that many people were meeting all the recommendations, with just 10% of people eating sufficient plant foods and limiting red and processed meat and fast food. And fewer than half of people met the body weight and physical activity recommendations. So the link between excess weight and cancer could be from how our bodies can change hormone levels and produce chemical messengers, which in turn can increase cancer risk. High body fatness is associated with high levels of insulin, which can promote cell growth and inhibit normal programmed cell death, a process called apoptosis. Obesity is normally seen together with chronic low-level inflammation, which over time can cause DNA damage that leads to cancer. And a brief promotion, in a few weeks I'm going to release an episode on the topic of inflammation, describing actually what it is when people use this word inflammation, and dig into these things called inflammatory and anti-inflammatory foods, if they really are a thing, and anti-inflammatory diets. So back to today's topic. So rather than just focus on obesity and cancer risk though, it is more important to look at where body fat is stored, and it is excess body fat around the abdomen that is linked to chronic local inflammation. So while BMI can be useful, but it's not a very precise measure of overall health risk, because it fails to take into account the distribution of fat through the body. I often say that when it comes to linking weight to health, it is much more important where the fat is than how fat you are. And for this reason, waist circumference was developed as a simpler and potentially more accurate measure of disease risk. Because waist circumference is not only a gauge of body fat, but it specifically targets the most dangerous type of fat, that's visceral fat. And visceral fat is metabolically active and can directly change the metabolism of certain hormones and inflammatory markers. So that is more the concern when we're talking about 
obesity, weight gain, and cancer risk. It's actually the central adiposity. So there you have the lifestyle recommendations that can reduce your own individual risk of cancer. But what should a person do about it? For some people, a complete lifestyle overhaul can be a difficult thing to manage in one go. Instead, focus on one change at a time, like building more activity into your day, and then following this up with eating five different types of fruits and vegetables, with an emphasis on color as your best guide to variety. Risk reduction guidelines, though, shouldn't be seen as a prescription for restricting your life, but a series of small changes to how you eat and live now that will build the framework for a long, healthy, and cancer-free life. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible, evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.